Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Hope you're doing well today. I want to talk today about an OCD theme I haven't really, I haven't discussed at all, which is relationship OCD, sometimes called ROCD. And I invited Christina Orlova, who is a therapist, to come in and discuss that. She has lived experience. She is an anxiety and OCD therapist, and she's created OCDwhispersacademy.com along with her private practice. And she's a great resource to tap into in general, but also to discuss this. And so I think you're going to enjoy her perspective and her help in educating me on the differences. Because the reason why I have a hard time with relationship OCD and I get stuck on that is because of my own personal lived experience with social anxiety and having an anxious attachment style. And I'm really on a personal level, very interested in attachment styles. And that's kind of part of my prior life of being an infant and toddler mental health specialist and also having my own anxious attachment and wondering what is this? And there was a period of time where I thought I had ROCD and was pretty sure I just had some undiagnosed OCD issues. But then I decided, no, I have an anxious attachment. (laughs) I'm self-diagnosing. But we had a really interesting conversation about what to look for in relationship OCD, what it is, how it shows up and how it can show up in our kids and teens. And I also wanted to know the difference because I think it's a really important diagnostic differential to know if we're talking about social anxiety, separation anxiety, and anxious attachment, or ROCD. And I will just preface this whole conversation, and I talk about this in our interview as well, that OCD is OCD. We don't want to get stuck on, well, I need to know how to treat moral OCD or ROCD or whatever. The approach will be the same. But we miss these because they can look like so many other things. And I feel like ROCD in particular is a slippery slope. It can it can really look like social anxiety. It can it can be driven by an anxious attachment and not ROCD. So we'll dive into that. Before we get started, though, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and actually outside of the U.S., which is really good news. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation. To see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child, just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And then for Christina's resources, you can go to ocdwhisperacademy.com. And we'll mention that at the end. During our interview, she does give a link to her resources and she says OCD Academy. And so I just want to tell you on the front end, and I'll mention this um, on the back end as well that it's ocdwhispereacademy.com because her podcast, she has a podcast. I didn't mention that. That was wrong of me. She has a podcast called OCD Whisperer. So if you haven't checked it out and you want to dive into a lot of anxiety and OCD podcasts, check hers out. It's really good. And that's why it's OCD Whisperer Academy. Okay. Well, without further ado, here is my interview with Christina. Well, I want to welcome Christina to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Natasha. This is definitely a treat. Yeah. So many people know your work. You know, you go by the OCD Whisper. People have seen you on Instagram, you know, have taken your courses or have seen your stuff. But 
if you could just tell people who don't know you or I'm introducing you to new people a little bit about yourself before we dive in. Yeah. So my name is Christina Orlova. I specialize in OCD and anxiety disorders. I have a private practice. I do have my podcast, OCD Whisperer Podcast, both on all the platforms and YouTube channel. And yeah, I've, I've created some online resources for um, using like ERP-based tools and also using inference-based CBT tools and a pretty cool digital journal, which I like because I personally like journals and like, I love that it's fillable and there's so many different worksheets and kind of things to keep track of everything in one place. But yeah, a little about me. And I'm also from Ukraine originally, and I also do have OCD myself. Yeah. And that lived experience, I think is really helpful, you know, and it must be hard, like on the Ukraine side. I didn't know, I didn't know you were from the Ukraine, so that must be hard. Yeah, it's been an interesting ride sometimes, you know, like from COVID to like coming out of that. Um, I've been pretty open about like my mom has been dealing with cancer last two and a half years. So we've been going through that and like seeing how some of that upticked some of my own OCD stuff. And then suddenly like the Ukrainian piece, I'm like, man, <laughs> that's tough. Yeah, like, that's a lot. there it is life, you know, yep. doesn't wait for anybody. <laughs> it really doesn't. It doesn't. So I like what we're gonna be talking about today because it's it's a topic I've never discussed because I feel like we're going to be talking about relationship OCD, our OCD. And I just want to preface it with, and I know this is something that you say, and it's something that I say, it's something that we all say that OCD is OCD, you know, and it's going to be treated the same way. But I do feel like understanding the nuances of different themes and how they show up is so important and so helpful. And our OCD is not discussed really in the kid teen realm. And honestly, I just think I can learn from you today in hearing your perspective on how you see it showing up and and what parents can do. Because I, I don't think this is a theme that is really even explored. That's actually really interesting to hear. Yeah, because I've definitely, you know, in a different group practice I was in and in my own practice, I have, you know, in working with teenagers, definitely can see it. And it it does have its own kind of little nuances because just like with everything, right? We have to kind of tease out where is it some developmentally appropriate, you know, doubts and securities versus when, of course, it's OCD driven and kind of how just some some slight different ways of how it can show up for for that population. Yeah. And, and then I want to also explore like the differential diagnosis between separation anxiety or an anxious attachment style. And we'll talk about that at the end because I mean, that's really interesting to me. But let's just talk about what it is in general, like how it shows up for teens or even kids. Yeah, so I don't know how clinical we want to get, but I'd like to keep things, you know, really easily understandable for everybody. So mm-hmm. I'll I'll kind of, if it's okay, be a little bit informal in that way. I'd say one of the common things that I see that can be amiss is that when we take take into account a teenager basically in, in this modern day and age, right? We have to take into account what we have going on with technology. We have to take into account social media. Uh, we have to look at also our most recent events like COVID. And because all of those variables impact, obviously, how how kids are interacting these days. And so one of the things I notice is that definitely there's a lot of things that can happen through their phones which, you know, as a parent, you may not really catch. Or even if you're a teen who has OCD, you might not fully realize it. But one common thing I see, for example, is a lot of kind of scrolling and looking and rereading of text messages 
a lot of them starting to mentally excessively uh, ruminate, which basically means, you know, dwelling on topics, right? Especially negative or negatively perceived topics. So spending an exorbitant amount of time in their minds, kind of trying to figure out what did this mean? Or I'm in this group text and, you know, this person didn't address me, but I addressed them. What does this mean then? Or they sent me a heart or a like, uh, you know, oh, well, how come I didn't get a heart? How come I got a thumbs up? Those are ways where you can get caught up in this way. And also reading the social dynamics, because socially, of course, when we're talking about relationship OCD, I want folks to understand we don't always just mean romantic. I think that that's a big kind of understanding in the general world when, when you start to understand relationship OCD. That certainly was my understanding when I first uncovered the subtype. And lo and behold, it turned out I have that subtype and didn't know it. But I think there's other ways that this shows up in your relationships with your friends, uh, with parents, with other people. And so if we if we hold it more broadly like that, we can start to see, especially in friendships, because this is a time where it's really kind of important, right? Like, how am I going to belong or not belong? Or am I going to meet fun if am I kind of in a group, not in a group? All of those dynamics are are very pertinent at that time of life. So when you already have the natural, if you will, kind of pressure and stress from that. And of course, this is a time, you know, as you know, early, early teens into later teens, right? A lot of conversations are happening about so many topics from discovering or talking about sexual stuff to potentially, you know, substances to potentially, you know, oh, all these parents we know, or, or hey, check on so-and-so, their parents are getting divorced and how are they dealing with that? right? Real life, big topics, but they're, they're talking about stuff, right? And so those kind of conversations when you're just hanging out and, and trust trying to have a good time. And if you're now a team with OCD, you are not kind of doing the same thing. You're suddenly sitting in these social circles. And number one, your anxiety is through the roof most of the time. And then you're doing one of two things. Either you, you are having external kind of behavioral compulsions or you really are working so, so hard to mask everything because, of course, you don't want to be judged and you want to be accepted that you're doing a lot of mental rituals. And so half the time, you're not even fully present. And then teens will say things like either they are um, starting to avoid situations and really become very isolated, or they'll say things like, I frequently will reach out to different members of the same group that I'm maybe a part of and really kind of in this really ingenious way, right? I'm kind of sneaking in reassurances and, and really constantly checking, you know, are we okay? Are we good? Did you get mad at me? Do you still like me? Is the friendship still good? So those are some of those intrusions that will come in where we're starting to question and doubt because OCD, of course, is a doubting disease, right? We're doubting our friendships. We're doubting the connection. We're doubting if, you know, are we liked, uh, you know, are, are, are you, are we going to be able to hang out? And then um, I think the other element that's important to note is for teenagers, just like for adults too, of course. But friendships can change, right? You might be friends with somebody and then suddenly for whatever reason, something happens or there's something, somebody said something, whatever it is. And, and for you find yourself suddenly in a place where somebody's not quite being open with you or they're not quite talking to you or they're pulling back or now it's impacting the dynamic of the group. And so now there's a natural, of course, sensitivity anybody would have to that. But if you have OCD, it's going to be more difficult to really perceive what's actually happening and respond accordingly. And then a person starts to get really stuck on, you know, that, oh my gosh, I did something wrong or you no, know, nobody likes me anymore. And so of course, 
with OCD, we often also tend to really turn against our own selves and really get down on ourselves even more. And that's just more like, like I'm saying more of the social interactions and, and the the friends. And if we get into more like, you know, teens trying to date, and if you have OCD and relationship OCD, a hundred percent, you will have those same kind of questions. Like, is this guy good enough for me? Or, or do I have enough feelings for the guy? Or is he cool enough? Or what are people going to think? Or how do we look? So it can sound like some of the similar things that any teen might be, you know, concerned around. But of course, like everything with OCD, it's not just your kind of standard questions where, you know, you get some reassurance and you move on. It's where you're just constantly bombarded with this nagging feeling like, I just don't know, like something here isn't right. And so you really feel compelled to constantly check or keep asking for reassurance, or maybe you get overly attached and now you're wanting to spend a lot of time with, with your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is you're with. But really, you're doing that because of OCD, because that is your way of getting that reassurance. And so it can look like, oh, maybe there's some attachment playing out here, but really it's not. It's really because I'm, I'm having so much um, internal anxiety because of these thoughts that I have. And of course, most teens are, don't just kind of come out right and say this stuff, right? Just like most people really, but you know, people feel embarrassed and they feel shy and they feel like they're going to be looked at as, you know, quote unquote weird. And so they're not going to want to say anything. So it can be a little bit tough if you're a parent or even if you're not a parent, like you, you just might not pick up on some of these pieces right away because, you know, teens tend to kind of want to shut that down a little bit or keep it away. Yeah. And I think it's tricky. I mean, because when I so when I think of like relationship OCD with adults, you know, I've seen where people are like doubt the connection, doubt that this is the one, not sure about the nose, you know, just all of a sudden like you know, really analyzing everything, you know, checking their feelings, checking their excitement. And, and so I, t- I totally get that. Like, that makes sense to me. And I get that, how that could be in a teen relationship too. You know, like maybe I like that. Maybe they're the one, maybe they're not the one. Maybe I'm not supposed to be this one. Like that whole doubting of your emotions and your feelings. But then when we get into the weeds with the friend, as you're describing that, I'm like, well, how do we like differentially diagnose relationship OCD from, from social anxiety? Because I mean, as someone with social anxiety, I'm like, that's all me, like 110%. But it's not OCD. I mean, I can reframe my thinking. I can, I know it's irrational. Like there's, there's definitely a different vibe from my social anxiety versus relationship OCD. And I wonder how parents can see the difference. Yeah. I mean, if, first of all, I think it's a great question, right? So I, th- I think in many ways, if you think about it, like what's the function of that behavior, right? And and I think we could say that really it kind of functions in similar ways. Like even if we think about generalized anxiety, like all three of those, we can say kind of have similar functions. And so people behaviorally are doing things because they're what? They're trying to essentially feel better. They're trying to get rid of whatever the internal pain processes and that feeling, right? To, to get to that state of certainty and calmness and, and feel good. So I think functionally it can look similar. I, I think, you know, when we get into more technical, then yeah, we could we would say one of the kind of pieces there is that, and it, of course it may very well be a little bit of social anxiety and OCD. The one thing with OCD is that kind of the hallmark is intrusions right? It's not just that I'm sitting here and I'm worrying, right? Because if I'm worrying, that's something I'm doing. In OCD, it's I could be sitting here just hanging out with you and we're talking 
and that's it. And then suddenly, bam, I get I get this uh, intrusive experience. And an intrusive experience, literally, as we know, with OCD, right, it can literally be like suddenly I get an, an image or I get a feeling or I get a thought that pops in without me doing anything, right? It just, there it is, it shows up. And then immediately it kind of takes your full attention and kind of holds you hostage because you're like, what is this? What, what does this mean? What's happening? Why is this there? And then you start to go down that, that cycle and rabbit hole. And so when we're talking about, you know, kind of non-traditional ROCD, if you will, um, and interestingly enough, Jen Overbaugh and I talked about this as well. And what we, what, you know, she did a great job describing this too. We're talking about things like friendships, right? So in friendships, it's more like, I mean, first of all, all of these interactions are, are relational, right? So when we're talking about relationship, I mean, the mo- like you and I right now are in a relationship, right? We're having this conversation, we're relating, we're connecting, right? So even in this moment, you know, if my ROCD was up, you know, again, for everybody, it's a little different, but you want to look at what is kind of that Achilles heel for you? What's that core sense of self that you're afraid of becoming? That OCD says, hey, just do these compulsions so that you can make sure you don't become that, right? So like my example would be one of my things is fear of doing something wrong and some perfectionism and of course ROCD. So part of me might be sitting here going, oh my God, did I just, did I just anything wrong? Did I, did I, did I, did I piss Natasha off? Is she mad at me? Right. And then suddenly what you would see on the asset is going, hey, so are we good? Um, so so you feel good, everything's fine. And then that kind of check-in becomes though not once or twice as when it becomes excessive. Well, you suddenly start to see, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I did anything wrong. I'm really I'm sorry. Right. That over-apologizing where suddenly you're like, man, we're fine. And so in in treating teens, these are some behaviors definitely that you start to see and start to note that are that are becoming kind of incessant. Or when they come and check in with their parents to say, okay, mom, so, or dad or whoever, um, like, hey, we did, you know, I I had this thing, I talked to so-and-so, and this is how the thing went down. Okay, does it sound okay to you? Or did I do anything? Right? So they might be checking in in that way if they're, you know, comfortable sharing, right? Because that's the other way it can present itself. Where again, like when you're talking about social anxiety or generalist anxiety, typically, if we sit down and we kind of answer and, and provide a little education and a little reassurance because we all need it sometimes, right? Usually kids can take it in just like us and we go, oh, okay, got it. I can see it. I can perceive it. I can understand it. I can resolve it and I can move on, Mm -hmm. right? And that's a key thing there, right? With OCD, what we find often is there's no resolution, right? Kids keep going back into that same pattern and and keep kind of re-engaging in those same behaviors. And quite often, of course, there usually is some sort of parental figure, somebody in the home that's for, at least from what I've seen, again, this is, you know, by no means a study, but just in, in my, through my practice through the years, there'll be some parent that's kind of becomes like the trusted OCD person that they will go to. And they will start to sometimes overly confess or constantly check in for everything. And did this come out? Okay. Or before I text this person back, you know, does this sound okay? Are you sure I didn't make a mistake? Things like that. Yeah. I also see it with kids who are like, And sometimes it's a moral OCD thing. And I think sometimes it could be a relationship OCD thing where they're like, I don't love you. I'm worried I don't love you. They'll like confess that to their parents. You know, I don't think I have love for you, Um, which really throws sometimes parents, you know, for a loop because they're like, why are they saying this to me? Sometimes it's kind of like just an intrusive thought with moral OCD, like you don't like your parent and I have to say it. But I do think that sometimes it could be a flavor of relationship OCD of like, do I or do not love my parents? Do exactly. I do I not like my friends? And I do think it's a good distinction being a sufferer of social anxiety. So I know that one really well. And I actually have an anxious attachment. And sometimes when I hear people talking about ROCD, 
in a non-typical way, I'm like, I, I had been on the fence of like, do I have ROCD or do I have an anxious attachment and social anxiety? Because I think social anxiety and anxious attachments, they often go hand in hand. And I do feel like it's firmly in the anxious attachment, social anxiety realm. But there was a time where I'm like, I'm pretty sure I have ROCD. But I think it's an interesting thing when you said it's an intrusive thought that pops up because that's not how it feels for me. So I think it's a really good distinction. It's like part of my DNA. Like it is not, it is, it is part of my daily talk and my thoughts and, you know, looking for evidence. I mean, I mean, anxiety and OCD can be similar, but I do feel like that's a good distinction as far as it's just popping up in your head and then looking for that compulsion to get that reassurance. Yeah. So like, even for me, just for my example, okay. Like when I immigrated, well, when my parents and my boy immigrated here. So there was a period, of course, where I think it's natural, right? Like you don't speak the language yet. You're you're just kind of acclimating new school system, new grades, like what's going on. It's a lot to take in. So fine. Let's, let's say you go, okay, you go through that, right? All of those things can be expected, but then at some point later, right, you stabilize, you learn the language. You're not going to have a little more kind of grounding and footing. So generally what you would see is somebody would adjust and then generally, right, they they would be engaging, interacting, spending time with friends and kind of moving on with life. So with the OCD element, and again, this is stuff I didn't know at the time, but I would get constantly stuck on, oh my gosh, uh, but do they like me? Do they like me? I'm sure. I'm, I don't know, but okay, do they accept me? Are they judging me? Wait, did I do anything wrong? And like this, this intrusive, repetitive piece where it's just like never enough. I mean, it was just out of control and constantly the way it would show up was, this is again for my case, but for me, it was a lot of asking for forgiveness and apologizing at times when I needed to, and many times where I did not need to at all. Right. But it's like, no, 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 it must all be because of me. Right. Like, and so, you know, this incessant need for that and then constantly looking, you know, the other thing is looking and reading, trying to read people. Okay, what are they doing? Okay, I should do that or I should do this. Okay, how, how, do, I, how do I respond then, right? These are things that were coming up that, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't cut fully kind of know unless you know OCD. Like now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, there was some very clear signs. Then even into later, you know, like in my 20s and 30s in social circles, similarly, because for me, again, I didn't. I didn't learn about it for sure that I have OCD until later, way later in my life. So looking back on some of those was also places where it's like, okay, you're hanging out with friends, you're social, and you could be really kind of in the engagement and interaction and you're having a good time. And then suddenly, like, bam, you get you get this kind of slammed with these these thoughts or images or feelings and just like, <gasps> and you don't know what exactly is going on. And then you suddenly feel compelled to Oh, let me call again or let me text and let's like rehab. And it, it can kind of look like, you know, let's let's just talk the stuff out, right? Like, oh, let's gossip. But really, you're rehashing stuff because what you're really wanting is to again triple, quadruple, you know, infinitely constantly check. Is everything really okay? Are you sure so and so is, you know, like they're good or we're good or everybody's interacting and nobody's mad? And and then you try to replay the scene and then you feel like you have to go ask again. And so you know, you'll see that kind of step. But again, teens, like anybody, right? When you're trying to save face or present a certain wall, you're going to find any way you can to sneak it in. But the truth is, you know, especially amongst teenagers, other teens who don't have a seat, you're going to be like, huh? Like, we already talked about this. Why are you asking me again? Right. And they get very easily irritated and annoyed. So you yeah. can't go to that source again sometimes. So you got to go to somebody else. So sometimes they'll find like lots of different people where they're going to try to reach out to and figure out different ways how to really ask the same question 
because they really just wanted to get that reassurance. Yeah, I think um, that's probably a hallmark difference too, is that the compulsion part, like that urge to get that, you know, certainty that you are still, you know, liked by them or that you still like that person that you don't see with social anxiety. Because I mean, that would make you feel even more awkward. So it's more avoidance, I think, with social anxiety of just like, and it's not an intrusive thought. It's more of like, oh no, I can tell you all the evidence why those people don't like me. <laughs> you know, like I read all the body language, they don't like me. You already have the narrative in your head. And then it's like you just avoid because you're like, nope, they don't like me. Which is there's there's an overlap, and obviously you can have both, but I can see where one would look much different than the other. You know, you're and I've seen this with kids and teens where like they're bothering their peer group, you know, or they're bothering their parents. It's like nonstop checking. Right. A lot of right. checking reassurance behaviors or confessing that they don't like, you know, they don't like the person, you know, and they don't have the filter yet or the the maturity to be like, okay. I'm having this doubt, but I don't really need to vocalize it. Exactly right. And then, of course, from the parents' end, you know, the thing that I see most commonly is, is, and I, I'm sure you'll probably, you know, speak to this too. But you know, as parents, you want to obviously take care of your kids, right? You want to help them feel better. So initially, it could seem like, oh, I'm helping them, right? I'm going to help them sort through this, especially as they're teens. And wow, that's awesome. They're asking me because you know, teens don't always necessarily ask, so it can look like that. But the reality is. If they're asking in a nonstop manner, right, that you, you should kind of pay attention and, and raise a little flag. Oh, wait a second. We've covered this, though. We've covered this, right? I explained it. We choose, kind of process this out. We talked about strategies or things to do or how to understand differently. So ideally, you want to see a kid kind of take that in and implement it, right? But if you see a kid be like, yeah, yeah, but, and it's like they're constantly just kind of pushing all that away because they're really not. In, into the, you know, integrating the, the information or implementing it, they just want to keep going over the same territory, right? That's a clue. Something else is going on here. Or, you know, you see parents where also they're like, my God, like, I love my kiddo, but like, I'm exhausted, right? Because they're constantly, you know, asking me, like, I have to say this, or they need me to say that, or they are coming to me for every tiny little thing. Like, like, I really would like them to have a little more confidence and independence, which is totally a great outcome to want to have, right? But that's another insight for you that there's there's something more here than just social anxiety. You know, those are the kind of repetitive behaviors that you see in OCD in a way that it does unfortunately, you know, impact the environment and and you know the people in it. Because yeah. people do get a bit tired. And it's like I love you, but man, like I can I tell you how many times I have people be like, can you stop apologizing? I'm like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh <laughs> right. And it's like, I really couldn't, like, I just couldn't. It was the, it was the wildest experience. I remember in it, I'm like, man, I like, I just couldn't right? you. Cause you don't fully even understand. Right. So the behaviors can, you know, and do impact friends and family. And the, the fact that, you know, I'll just say it really is difficult. It's like a double-edged sword is when you're in the throes of that, the truth is you can actually start to sometimes lose friends or you can, you know, sometimes have dynamics change, you know, in your social circle or at school or what whatnot. And so as a teen, it becomes this like, oh my gosh, this was a thing I was afraid of and now it's happening. Yeah. So right. So but so really, so. exactly. But it's happening really more because I'm not fully yet understanding myself yet even or how what's going on here. And and I'm doing these behaviors because I'm just trying to feel better. Really the intention is not bad. It's not like there's some malicious intent. Right. But if you don't understand these dynamics, then it becomes too easy to just keep giving into it and not realize that, hey, 
people on the other side, though, also, you know, sometimes need a little break. Yeah. Right? It's got to be kind of a both and experience. And and then it, you know, it kind of like confirms their worst fears sometimes right. then makes the OCD worse. And I do feel like it's like when it's OCD, it's like talking to the wall. So you're problem solving with your child. And I mean, I've had this with clients too, where I'm like, we're getting somewhere. Like we had a really good conversation about this. And then next session, I'm like, it's like, we're starting totally over. Like that conversation never happened. There was no growth, no insight. And these are, you know, smart kids. And it's just because it's, I'm talking to OCD the whole time. You know, it's like, and I think with relationship OCD, it's not as obvious at first, you know, you problem solve with kids, you know, they have other themes and you're problem solving and you're dealing with it. And then you get into a different topic that seems maybe situational or environmental. And then I think, you know, one of the hallmarks is just, oh my gosh, I'm like talking to the wall. You know, it's like, you're just, they're just basically compulsing on you. You know, they're just needing that reassurance and they, you're not really having a conversation. You're actually just talking to OCD. Exactly. And I think, like you said, part of it is that if you're not quite sure, and if you don't quite have a specialist, at least, you know, if you're sitting with your teen and getting into the dialogue of, okay, what, what, what's the fear that's coming up for you? Right. And as you, if you're able to just at least get some of that out and listen a little bit carefully, you, you will start to see a pattern. Cause I, I, I find OCD is very uh, predictable in many ways, right? Once you start to listen a little more closely, because it's very repetitive in its nature. So you'll start to hear certain things and you start to get to the bottom and go, oh, I see. So really, you know, you could you could kind of generalize the theme and recognize like, oh, you're always afraid that, you know, like your peers aren't going to like you, right? Or you're always afraid of, you know, and again, listening for those questions, right? What, what are those doubt questions they're having? Those are great, great kind of insights, right? Like, oh, well, you know, I wonder, you know, are they going to like me? Am I going to be good enough? Or, you know, do I like, do I like this guy enough? Or is he cool enough? Is he good enough? Or what are people going to think? All of that, if you listen with that ear, you're going to go, wait a second, this seems to be centering around relationships and connection, right? And so that's another way to look at it is what is kind of the central topic matter, right? That, that seems to have them honed in on that they're constantly going over, right? So even if it's friendships or whoever they might be wanting to date or dating or whatever, but you'll hear that familiar theme come up again and again that has to do with the relational dynamic. And usually it has to do with, again, closeness, or does it feel right or good enough? Usually for teens, of course, is, you know, is it cool enough also? Because it's really important that, you know, everybody's cool and everybody's vibing and we're all liking each other and we all have enough friends and we're fitting in. So, you know, those kind of dynamics, though, if you see somebody, you know, repetitively kind of hyper-focused on those things, will definitely give you that clue that, okay, this this might be more in that relationship domain, right? Because the relationship domain has everything to do with, with that. Yeah. And definitely, it's more obvious when I think it's like, are they cool enough? You know, are they good enough? You know, do I really like them? Do I really love you? Do I really love him? More in the weeds, I think when it's like, am I good enough? Because that's, that's the cornerstone of social anxiety as well, or an anxious attachment style. And so it gets a little trickier. Um, I want to touch on separation anxiety and an anxious attachment just to wrap it up, because I feel like it's like for all the different many ways that OCD can show up. I feel like this one to me is the most murky because if it's the only theme that shows up and there's no other OCD themes or OCD diagnosis, I'm like, it could be so many other things. Like it could be definitely social anxiety for sure. If it's just, I'm not good enough and 
you know, I feel like I'm not cool or maybe they don't like me because there's a ruminating quality of social anxiety. Separation anxiety is similar too. Like I need more hugs. I need more reassurance. I need to know that you love me. I'm like a magnet to you. And then the anxious attachment is very similar too. Like I just don't have a secure attachment style. And so I am very clingy to any relationship I have because I know that you might not like me, you know, and and so that gets confusing too. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for kids and teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice it was easy to use um, i was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer there's different ages you know so there were younger kids there were teenagers and um so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids it was a nice variety it's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Well, so one thing I'll say is you're, as you're sharing those, what one piece that stands out, which we touched on a little bit, but I want to highlight it again, with those other ones you're describing, you generally do those see progression and changes right? As, okay, you get some more hugs, you, you get filled up and then, okay, you're starting to be able to let go a little bit more, right? You get a little more reassurance and then, okay, we're starting to let go a little bit more, right? With OCD, as we all know, it's like a bottomless pit. It doesn't matter how much reassurance, it doesn't matter how much, how many hugs you get. It's just this endless, endless cycle. So with, with that, that's going to be one dynamic where you're going to see that, okay, maybe you're, you're implementing those tools, but you might notice instead of getting better, it's actually going the other direction. It's getting a little worse. And now they're going to need more hugs and they're going to need more reassurance and come on, come on, mommy, just, or whoever, whoever the, the parental figure is, right? 
they're going to demand demand and need more, not less. So this is kind of the 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 paradox of OCD, right? The things that we typically do and want to do to get better that typically do work and we do see a progression, suddenly those things don't work. Yeah. Right. Those same things that we're putting in place are actually making things worse. Right. And that's always the paradox of OCD, that 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 concept of opposition, right? Where you know, you would think typically, you know, if I think things through, I'll get clarity and then I resolve and I move on. Well, here we're thinking things through, we get no clarity. We're not moving on at all. Right. If anything, we got more questions and more things and more things, and we get actually deeper stuck in our mind, right? Versus, you know, kind of being here and present and really taking in information. Yes. So those are the things to look for. Yeah, that's a really good distinction. Because if you think about separation anxiety, typically if the child's like glued to you, like they're pretty satiated, like they're good, you know, where, you know, if it's a relationship OCD theme, they're like right next to you and they're still checking your mood, checking whether you love them or check, you know, whatever. So you're right. I mean, it's just that it's uh, it's an itch that can never be satisfied. And I think with an anxious attachment, one, you know, look at your history as far as like your attachment to your parents and all the whole attachment work. But I also do feel like if that anxious attachment is is addressed, you know, you have a partner that's like, I am here for you. And I'm like, you know, you have a healthy attachment, like someone is actually has a healthy attachment versus your attachment. They can really anchor you and you can progress versus, you know, anxious to anxious attachment or anxious to avoid an attachment. That's like a mess, but there is progress. Like someone can respond to you or you can be in a therapy session and someone can say something and then it it feels good for a while. I mean, speaking from my own experience, like I can feel satisfying or I know exactly what my partner needed to say to me, which he didn't say because he had an avoidant attachment, but I knew what he needed to say to me in order for me to feel better. And it would be a true better feeling, you know, like that's right. Tell me not to worry. And I'm like, I'm good. And it's not like, okay, you just scratched an itch and now, but I have a follow-up question to that. And I have a follow-up. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Right. As you're talking, it's exactly what I'm thinking. Let's say you have a teen who's, you know, with somebody and their secure attachment and the teen is, let's say, you know, anxious, avoidant, whatever. But what you're going to see is when 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 that that person with secure attachment is presenting consistently and clearly, right, and there they are, it doesn't matter. Your OCD is still going to be like, yeah, but mm-hmm. are, are you sure? Or what? Are, do you really feel the way? I don't know. Do you really? Do I have enough feelings? Do I? Do I? Ugh, is this really a good enough connection though? Right, that process will not end though. It doesn't. It doesn't resolve any of that. So those are the kind of I think bigger hallmarks or the kind of the overarching right behaviors to pay attention to that will clue you in that, uh-oh, this might be a bit more. And also definitely, you know, like we just said, focused on the relationship dynamic as the hyper or the, the focal point of OCD. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what, what do you think parents should do or what should be their first steps? I mean, I always try to say, you know, if you know the foundation of how to work with OCD, it's kind of plug and play. You know, I think people get a little bit hung up on like, well, how do I how do I handle this for moral OCD or how do I handle this for content? And you're like, well, how do you handle it for any OCD? But I think relationship OCD is a little bit of a different beast. And so I wonder um, where would parents start with that? Yeah, that's a really nice, big, broad question. I and, I, and, and <laughs> totally love it. I love things like this because I, I like to, I like to problem solve. <laughs> so I think one is obviously the, the first steps is education about what OCD is always, right? I think you're right. I, I always say the same thing, right? OCD is OCD. Learn how the disorder works. OCD, right? D, the disorder. You have to learn how the disorder works 
so that you can recognize that it doesn't matter what the current topic, the hot topic of the hour is, you're, you're, you can still see the, the same patterns because pattern-wise, it is, again, it's very pattern and very predictable. So when you start to notice it, then that's when, if you do have some experience with uh, treatment, like let's say exposure response prevention, you want to more quickly create a response prevention plan so that you as a parent change your behavioral response to it, right? So that you're not constantly giving into the demands. Other programs exist like SPACE, which is only working with adults, uh, with parents or kids who have OCD and teaching you how to really kind of deliver this new message and change your behavior to their response. It doesn't require the kids to do anything, but it's going to require you to change, which can be really hard again as a parent, right? There's a lot of your own fears that are going to come up. Lastly, I will say there's a therapy called inference-based CBT, and that a treatment approach is, is really a bit different than any of these because it really teaches people to actually s- slow down and really let's map out and examine your thinking process, which so far, I don't know, for most therapies I've known, we haven't really done that. So this one is where we're going to take a look at, okay, how are you even arriving to these conclusions? What is that based on? And then let's teach you to understand what is an obsessional doubt and what is the obsessional reasoning process so we can help resolve that. And that's where both parents and kids can learn that together and then really kind of help to rectify this, if you will, right? To, to understand like, hey, is this, are you triggered right now, right? What's your doubt? What's that, what's that first thing you're questioning right now? And then w- uh, work through that. So, I mean, I think all of those, and of course, plugging into communities like yours, I think you have an incredible community that you've built over time and, and having that space for parents to come and connect to other parents and um, and ask questions like that too, right? Especially once they've gone through some training and they have some ex- expertise and experience. I mean, I think that's the best ever, right? When you can pull on the community and, and other folks who are in it so that you can really relate to those dynamics. Because like you said, with the relationship with OCD, like with anything, you know, you have to now manage the reassurance piece, the connection piece, because you're not going to be like at zero always of I'm never going to reassure my child, right? But you have to kind of learn when and how do we do this in a way that's actually helpful, right? But not in a way where we're prolonging the, the OCD experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an all-encompassing, you know, it involves everybody around them. And yeah, I think going back to all those evidence-based approaches and and helping realize that it's OCD is OCD and however you're going to approach OCD and whatever flavor you like to approach OCD, like that's, you're going to still do that for all of this. I think is key. So thank you so much for coming on. It's a good discussion about it. You like actually clarified a lot of my own confusion where I'm like, how do I notice the difference? And those were good answers. So now I feel like, yeah, you can see where one is firmly different than the others. So let's just remind people where they can find you and the resources that you have available. You're so sweet. Thank you for that. So there's, of course, my podcast. It's a free resource, OCD Whisperer podcast or OCD Whisperer channel for YouTube. And then I have OCDacademy.com, and that's where I have uh, ERP-based courses, ICBT, and um, as I mentioned, a CBT-based journal that I designed specifically for uh, working with OCD that both kids, parents, everybody can use together to kind of help it keep everything in one place. Yeah, and I love the idea of like a journal that you can actually like type in, you know, because I feel like I'm not a pen to paper kind of person, but I'd be okay to type. 
And so I love that you have like a, a fillable journal that well, they can- you know, it's a modern world, right? I'm like, we better move with the times, man. And and teens, like, I don't know that many teens that want to put pen to paper. They'll look at me and roll their eyeballs. So I'm like, okay, right? let me let me do something fillable so you guys can just type it in. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So um I'll leave a link, OCDacademy.com. Check out all of Christina's resources. Um, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Natasha. So again, if you want to check out her stuff, you can go to OCDwhisperacademy.com. We talked about OCDacademy.com. So just know that that's corrected. It's OCDwhisperacademy.com. Check out her podcast at OCD Whisperer. And I will leave a link to all of those things in the show notes. So if you are enjoying the podcast, finding that this is really helpful information, don't forget to rate it, hit a star, write a review. Those things really do help. I tell you every time. And if you write one, I'll probably be reading yours next time because I I haven't checked in a little while, but I don't think I have any new ones. So you might be the next one. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.